hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and I'm here uh, at home remotely working today but uh, I have my wingman Gareth Shaw from Mediate with me uh, working remotely as well. Uh, how are you Gareth? How are you? Yeah, morning Andy. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Very, very um, nice weekend. Fantastic Back weekend. to it. Lots of good golf to, to discuss today. Can't wait. Isn't it just tour talk is... Uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it could be uh, could be a full session just talking about that, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what's an incredible weekend's golf. So, uh, you know, I mean, distracted by, uh, it's going to sound wrong, but my wife will understand exactly what I'm saying, distracted by the golf on the ladies' um, tour, LPGA, LET, the Women's Open. And, um, you know, for, for all the right reasons, um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, Um you know, obviously, DJ running away with it um, in the States. I think he was playing on another planet, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll discuss uh, how he plays golf a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, we've got a full show. So, uh, you know, plans. We're talking putter design and evolution and, um, you know, what makes a good putter. Um you know, the, the tool, not the person holding it. Um, I think we all know what makes a good putter, as in the golfer. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts, Gareth? You know, we, shall we, where, where shall we go? Where shall we start? You, you I know, yeah. I, I, think, I think the women's open because I, I think the conditions kind of got to merit the win even more because it was horrendous, Andy, wasn't it? The couple, the first couple of days, it was just survival. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, it, it was quite brutal. I mean, I know we were both watching simultaneously, weren't we? we you know, during our, <laughs> yeah. during our uh, contacts through Thursday and Friday. Uh, yeah, just, just um, yeah, it was a bit, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, Troon showed its colours. Troon will always show its colours, but when the weather... Um, you know, produces what he does. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, my argument will be that, you know, some really big names didn't make it. Learn to play links, golf girls. Uh, you know, and I'm not just saying girls, you know, guys as well. You know, this is part of our yeah. game and this is the heritage of our game. You know, we started our game work, you know, with, you know, pebbles and sticks, you know, on links ground. And, you know, nothing really has changed um some would say that the golf ball goes too far the clubs are too long all that sort of stuff yes of course there's been evolution in the product in the products that we use to play the game but you know um there are some certain there's so, there are some shots that have to be played on a Lynx golf course that don't come into play on parkland courses you, you know and, mm. and I, I grew up on a parkland course um and I love the challenge of Lynx golf. I think Lynx golf is golf at its purest. I think it's a, you know golf with the elements. Um, you could almost say it's golf with God, to be honest with you. I mean, because whatever he decides it's to throw at yeah. you, you know, you're going to have to deal with on that day. Yeah, I mean, it is for me, you know, one of the most um, poignant rounds of golf you'll ever have. You know, because you you are literally walking in the history books of time. Um, you know, many of the golf courses have been around hundreds of years. I mean, not just a hundred. I mean, you know, some of our links courses are older than, uh, um, you know, sort of the, the United States of America as a as a country. 
Um, you know, obviously the land's been there a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, but there's a, a registered country. Um, you know, we've got golf courses that are older than that. And, you know, and that's, it, you know, just shows you how much history, you know, it, it takes place, you know, or has taken place on some of these hallowed links. And, you know, you... Have you got a favourite, Andy? Oh, have I got a favourite? You know, I, I've played I've played a few that would be off the beaten track for most people wouldn't actually know. Um, you know, I did play uh, an open qualifying at final stages at Kilmarnock at Barassi. Um, you know, so that is always going to be there for me. Um, you know, as one of those because of the the reason why I played there. Um, mm -hmm. I've walked many, many links courses where there's been tournaments and, you know, I've, I've worked, walked with players during practice rounds, etc. And I like to see how, you know, a mind of a, of somebody who makes a living, you know, contend with, you know, playing golf in, you know, what, you know, could as, might as well be a minus, minus temperature chill factor. Um, yeah. you know, obviously St. Andrews. Um, is is up there, you know, Carnoustie, um, you know, some of the newer courses I'm not so sort of, you know, shook up on, to be honest with you, although, you know, to be honest mm. with you, Renaissance looks great, um, you know, where the, I think the girls were playing and, you know, and the Scottish Open's there with the men, um, I think a bit later in the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, courses like North Berwick and, uh North Berry is one of my favourites, like a mini old course team, Tandu's, oh, I think. It's, it, it's, it's stunning. And, you know, and look, you just, you really don't know what you're going to get. You've hit a great shot and until the ball finishes and stop, actually stops rolling. And of course, if the wind's strong enough, it'll start rolling again. But if it's, you know, until the ball is actually finished, to play, you know, playing a Lynx course that, you know, you've kind of, you're almost playing with your heart in your mouth right way through i think yeah i definitely think the blood pressure and the heartbeat goes up on playing links golf especially when it blows a little bit you know i mean like um yeah. I, I will say i mean we, we played kilmarnock i mean this is the thing i love about kilmarnock there are days where you know on my links course if the wind flips the same hole is just a completely different animal altogether i mean you know it may not be a beast <laughs> you know in terms of its downwind i mean i remember when we had old blocks of wood in the bag although i was actually using a, a, a yonix um graphite headed driver or carbon headed driver um back in you know with the day that i was or the days that i was playing open qualifyings and the like in the early 90s i remember hitting the driver to a par three um, you know, which was a hundred and I want to say it was 138 yards, and I came up short because it ballooned. <laughs> but it ballooned after it went over the green, you know, and after it went over the out of bounds fence, which was about 50 yards over the green, and then ballooned back and landed somewhere in the front half of the green and you know, bounced back down the footpath. And you know, this was during the practice wow. round, and you know, I was hit, and then I played the I think that was the ninth, and then the eleventh hole was four hundred and forty yards, and I hit a four iron. Um, it may have been four, maybe less than four forty, but but it was a four something, uh, and I hit a four iron, and it rolled over the back of the green. You know, I mean, off the off the tee. I mean, that's you just couldn't con comprehend. Then, of course, you've got a couple of left to right and right to left holes to play before you've got a par five, which is you know a drive and a putter. 
Um, because <laughs> anything anything else just wasn't going to work. Um, was going to make it extremely difficult. Um, and having tried a few times to actually sort of control the pitch shot from about 80 yards. So it was a par five and I'd hit drive over 400 yards. Um, it was, it was interesting. It was an easy five. I can say that, you know, four putts from 80 yards was, um, uh, actually only two putts on the green to be fair, because the first part actually putted over the back of the green. So from 80 yards, I hit a putter and it rolled over the back of the green, just wouldn't stop. It was just a ridiculous onto the fringe. And, um, yeah, it was, um, and, 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 oh no, there was, um, further three putts. That's right. Um, yeah, anyway, <laughs> it was, it was, yes, my recollections are, oh, uh, dear. Yes, I do remember there were three on the green. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it just, uh, look, Link's golf, you know, the girls almost got to play in, in, in those kind of wins and, um, you know, in the first few days. And then you look at the scores and you're like, oh, my word, there are a few of them that are figured it out. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, and then, of course, the winner, Sophia Popoff, just what an incredible, oh, yeah. I mean, she's played those first two rounds, um, was it 70, 72? And then, um, you know, 68, six, um, was it 60, 67, 68? It deserves to win. Simple as, you know, nothing more than mm. that. And, and I, you know, I do have to say that, I don't know if you've seen the driver that she hit into the par five on Saturday. You know, she's hit driver off the deck and she's hit an absolute, I mean, Laura Davis called it the shot of the year. You know, when somebody said, oh, this mm. is the shot of the day. And she said, forget that. She said, this is the shot of the year. She's knocked it to about 12 foot, not a foot in for eagle. I mean, just, you know, talk about getting your rewards, you know, but she's, you know, and, and of course, wow, what an incredible putting stroke. There's a lot to learn, as I put out in one of my posts um, yesterday evening, you know, on Insta. What a lot to learn from that putting stroke. She stands tall. She allows the arms to hang nicely. Mm -hmm. She uses the chest rotation you know, principles, and of course, she can roll that ball on the line she wants, and she did a very stellar job. So, you know, Sophie, Sophia, awesome. What a win. What a win. So, what do you think on length, Andy? Did you, would she add a, a longer putter? What, what um, was your thought? Because she's standing tall. She's standing tall. I don't know how tall she is. She, uh, looking, you know, I mean, I, could, I suppose we can look at the stats, but um, looking at the stats of her height, you know, doesn't necessarily always tell us something. I mean, you can have a dig around, of course. I think she would be about five foot six. Um, oh, close, close, Andy. Five, five, seven. There you go. Um, and, Mr. Google, help me out. Yeah, no, there you go. Um, so I think from a point of view there, she would appear to be using a longer putter. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, you know, and, and, and she's a very slender girl. She's got long arms. Those long arms do make a difference. So, but I would, I would think she's probably got a putter fairly close to 34 inches. So, you know, which for the girls, um, you know, and maybe even a little bit longer, I don't know. It'll be interesting mm -hmm. to find out. And I'm sure, you know, when somebody's done the what's in the bag, um, you know, yeah. we may get to find that out. But um, yeah, be, but she postures extremely well, whatever. I will say that putter fits her perfectly, you know, and she swings it really nicely. So good, good, good on her, good on her. So yeah, moving on to the um, 
set, uh, the kind of second time at, at Carlton Manor. Um, that looked again. You got it right, Andy. Rained. It rained on the European <laughs> tour in Wales. Well, it's in Wales. It's as simple as that, you know. Um, you know, I, I think what was really interesting is that they managed to make the course more difficult. Mm. Um, you know, because yeah, winning school was only eight under. It was, you know, in comparison to the week before, where it was probably twice that, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm trying to think what they remember, remember what the winning score was now. The follow uh, the week before, but um, yeah, um, Langas um, with his maiden victory. I think what's really good about you know the um, you know, we're seeing a lot of maiden victories in this, um, in these sort of series that we're, we're mm-hmm. seeing. And, and the, obviously, the UK swing's been fantastic. The guys are, you know, one, they've got to travel. In, you know, we've had a couple of British winners, of course, or English winners, um, but most are having to travel. And yes, they're traveling through Europe, but they're, you know, away from home for five or six weeks. They're in a bubble, which is not easy. You know, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're traveling, you get out of what would be the bubble. You know, you get into the local towns, you would do your thing mm. um, and, you know, sort of mix it up a little bit. You know, we're not just, you know, back to the hotel necessarily. You know, the guys will find a nice restaurant and, you know, go and eat. Well, they can't, they just can't do that. So, you know, they've, no. you know, Celtic Manor obviously been able to cater um you know to the players needs and they've done very very well on that so you know again you know hats off to Celtic Manor um for being able to host the tournament for two weeks um you you know and and produce a fantastic golf course the greens were quicker um just Mm -hmm. as smooth you know the rain battered them but they've you know it shows you the quality of, of the surfaces you know to be able to cope with two weeks of rain um, you know, there was some rain the previous week as well, of course. But Wales is used to that, you know. I mean, we we know Wales yeah, is exactly. used to the rain. So, but um, but yeah, you know, I mean, again, you know, a really good event, and you know, I think it's one of those um, events. He could have gone to a playoff. There was an opportunity to make birdie at the last for um, what was he Valmaker Valmaki? Yeah. Um, apologies if my pronunciations of of a. Sort of European names uh, don't quite come up to the mark, but uh, you know, it shows you just the pressure of hitting a wedge shot off a slightly damp fairway with a little bit of spin mm. and a slight headwind, and all of a sudden the ball's back. Well, not at your feet in this instance, back into the water hazard. Um, that is a seriously steep slope, by the way. Mm. Um, yeah, it is. Well, I was really surprised when I when I visited Celtic, yeah, and I was like, yeah. wow, this is. It's um, of course nearly as steep as the slope from the clubhouse down to the practice area on the first tee, which is just like oh, oh I don't know how you do it in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but always uh, think you're not going to stop when you get to the road at the bottom anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, yeah, brilliant. Um, and uh, like I say, hats off to the European Tour, the agronomy team, and 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 the greenkeeping staff at uh, Celtic Manor, and of course everybody involved because you know to host the tournament for two weeks running. It is hard work for one week, really hard work. I know I've worked at the Belfry under many, many different formats, um, you know, different events, Ryder Cups, English Opens and, and the like. And it is brutally difficult to host a tournament of that mm-hmm. magnitude and to do it two weeks on the bounce is just, you know, everybody deserves, you know, more than just a day off, but, 
you know, you can't because grass doesn't know that, you know, what day it is today. They, you know, grass doesn't have a clue. You know, it's still, it's still growing, still needs mowing. It still needs manicuring, still mm-hmm. needs to look good. Um, and of course, they'll be into winter preparations as well now. So I would imagine at uh, some point this week, they will be punching holes in it and top dressing it and doing whatever's necessary to prepare it for winter. So, you know, it's yeah. not going to stop for that ground staff. And, you know, and they did it on the Skellington crew. Um, as well, you know, during lockdown, that course was inspected. I think they talked about the fact that they got about 16 staff for three golf courses to maintain wow. that golf course, or those three courses in that magnitude. Uh, you know, it's over a vast landscape. It's not a small landscape. You know, <laughs> I'm going to say there's 500 acres there, if I remember rightly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, you know, I don't know, but even if it's you know, it's got to be a, it's got to be 500 acres, three golf courses, and they are over literally. A, you know, I mean, especially 2010, it's got to be close to 200 acres, I would think, um, of real estate that that's covering. And you know, it's all got to look good. You know, so which means it has to be cut and manicured, etc. So, yeah, brilliant. You know, European Tour guys are doing a great job. Um, you know, Kelsey Manor, yeah, dot the cap. And of course, we're at the Belfry this week, which is uh, your backyard. Oh my word! Yeah, right on my backyard. I, I you know, I've, I've probably been i'm probably at this point the most frustrated that i've been during the whole of the lockdown and covid and everything else because you know i'd be pitched there this week you know i'd take you know i'd be there today you know i'd have friends probably either coming to well i've not since i've been coaching you know players you know and, and working out on tour uh, which I've not done much in the last couple of years admittedly but you know I've, there's not been a tournament at the belfry and you know, to actually go, you know, and sort of meet up with the guys, you know, on my own turf, really, you know, would, would just mm. have been, you know, spectacular. Um, and imagine that putting green is very, like, kind of cool for, for mingling, chatting, having a bit of a catch up as well. Well, you say that, but it isn't. Um, and the reason why it isn't is because it, you're putting green in front of the clubhouse. There's a putting green by the, by the practice ground as well. And I think you'd find mm. the players would mix it up a little bit and be between the two. Both both yeah. surfaces are the same, um, the same as the Brabazon, um, in terms of the ability to be able to practice. Um, they would be using uh, probably the uh, they'd be. I'm just trying to think. They'd probably use the PGA. Um, is there a bunker at the back of the uh, PGA course now? I'm not sure there is. Um, well, they've shortened, they've shortened it, haven't they? Because the they built, built a pond in built, front, built so. a new house bar. Yeah, mm. so so I'm not so sure where they would be. They'd probably use the um, the first hole on the PGA for, for short game practice because they haven't really got a great, you know, sort of short game facility area. You know, it's not certainly not big enough. They could use the bit that's by the practice ground, of course. But I think they'd mm. have another uh, another one open, another, another green open somewhere. They may not, of course, but you know, I mean, that's that would be. I know the Ryder Cup; they used to use the the 18th of the PGA as their practice ground. Um, but it, yeah, the um, it, you know, I mean, the facilities are phenomenal, um, but they uh, they do lack a little bit of space around the short game, you know. But the putting greens, yeah, it, you know, the, it's not really big enough for 150 players. That's the problem that you've yeah, got. Fair. So. Um, you know, the putting green is very ornate, but, you know, and it's shaped like a clover leaf, for those of you that don't know. And, 
you know, sort of the areas there that's got rockeries in between. It's very pretty and, you know, sort of put great putting surface. But there's a practice green. It's, you know, all the pretty bits in between are just, you know, sort of, mm. they're lost. I mean, you know, um, it, I, well, they, they did host tournaments every year and they didn't change it. So, um, but the putting green really should be the centrepiece and, you know, not necessarily a, an ornament, but, um, you know, at the clubhouse, in front of the clubhouse, it would make a phenomenal um, putting green if it was full size and, you know, you could tilt it, do all sorts of stuff with it. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it is difficult. It's a great place, yes, to, from a networking point of view, because everybody's on top of each other. Not so good in current times where, you know, albeit everybody's working in a bubble, um, you, you know, you, you, you would feel that you're a little claustrophobic, to be fair, um, on that green yeah. ordinarily. And, you know, I know it's a difficult place to work from a coaching point of view. I've been on that green, you know, coaching during the tournament, and you do feel like you're a little bit in the way. Um, but, um, it, you know, I mean, that's, I, I felt like I was in the way at that point in time, which was back, you know, nearly 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, it, you know, it was, it, it was, it was a little surreal really. Cause you know, I was in, I was inside the picket fence for the first time and it just happened to be there. Um, you know, of course then the forest of Arden, like a few years later, well, a year later, I think it was, um, you know, and, uh, it, you know, that's a much more suitable practice green it's a big wide open space and you do need that for tournaments players need space to practice and um yeah mm. so yeah that'd be yeah, that's not a criticism per se you know because ultimately the belfry is what the belfry is it's iconic for its rider cup venue and you know hosting of some phenomenal tournaments it was built for tournament golf and has done a stellar job it's now a very mature course, you know, heading towards, uh, I don't know, well, heading close to 45 years or so it's been open yeah. now. And, um, you know, that uh, that just sort of shows you that, it, you know, it's it's standing up pretty well and, and, you know, it will host a phenomenal tournament this week. I really hope the weather's good for it. Um, you know, not too much rain, but, you know, it's, uh, it'll produce a stellar test. It'll be interesting to see what the scores are actually this week. Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, I don't even know what they're setting the par at, but um, you know it's normally seventy-two, three par threes, three par fives. Um, I would think it'll be pretty close to that. I don't think they'll do anything silly with it. So that's going to be going to be good mm. fun. What were your thoughts on on the absolute machine that is Dustin Johnson, Andy? <sighs> I said it earlier, didn't I? I think he was playing on another planet. Yeah, he's, he, yeah. I think he's he's got to be one of the most infuriating players to watch at the same time, you, <laughs> you know, because of perfectionism, you know, as a, you know, for me as a coach and, you know, as a player, I mean, like, you know, I was never perfect. I never got, I never got close to shooting 59. I, I had 63 with four bogeys. So that's as close as I got. Um, but the, yeah, I, you know, watching him, I mean, you know, 11 under par on Friday, 11 under par through 11 holes, and you're going, what? You know, there's a chance for 54, mm. you know. And, and yeah, the, the reality is that he's not likely to do that, of course. But then, you know, the six most frustrating pars, including, including at the last, um, you know, and it would have been, you know, well, we've had a record already because we've obviously had two 59s this week. Um, 
And you just look at it and go like, oh, my word, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, it could have been two in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, but, but he just played, he played that golf course as if, I can't even say as if he was playing a practice round because, it, it, you know, I mean, he just played a level of golf that were, I mean, he's, once he finished 30 under par, um, he, he, he swans around, doesn't he? You know, just kind of like, I, I, I mean, I just, he's as if he plays golf horizontal. I mean, you know, then there's a coach that I mean, yeah. infuriates. I mean, I, I thought there was a great sort of little commentary and and those of you watching here in the uk and you are probably watching on sky sports where rich beam was interviewing claude Harmon during a rain delay on saturday evening and um it, you know he was saying that you know he, he, he's always been like it you know we've worked with him now for eight years or so and uh eight yeah eight, eight years or so and he's he's just you know, said to him look you know he said he'll come for a lesson he'll come to the practice tea and what were we working on yesterday I mean, it's just like, really? You know, what? Way? I, I, mm-hmm. you can imagine he would go from the practice tee to the first tee and go, uh, what's my thoughts for the day? You, you know, if it's not written down or stamped on his caddy's forehead so he can look at it, I mean, it's probably not going to get reminded. I mean, it is just, that would be, you know, really difficult to cope with um, as a coach. You learn to deal with that because every player is different, you know, and, and I've never met, I was, Never, no, I've never met. I mean, I've seen Dustin, and you know, he's very cordial. You know, I said hello. He was in Germany. I mean, he was over here playing in Europe. Um, I'm going to say 09, 10, somewhere around that time. Uh, maybe a little bit later, but um, you know, he he just happened to be there, and you know, his big wide shoulders and slender frame, and you know, strong as an ox, and then the booming drive down the first, which just you know, was just incredible to watch and just look at it and go like, wow, this guy, this guy's got something going on here, you know. And of course, I was looking at it from the bowed wrist and the club face to the sky position at the top of the swing going like, how do you get back to the golf ball and not snap hook it? Um, yeah. And of course, now it is very much a case of, it is one of the most significant ways to play. You know, coaching has led that way now. we we always fought the bowed wrist, and now, um, now it's the mainstream. Um, yeah, it's just bow the wrist and turn as hard as you possibly can. And oh boy, can he do that? You know. And again, the method works with the uh, with the player. So you know, if the player's not flexible enough, he is an athlete. You know, and you know, very well proportioned and framed, and you know, he's what you would call ideal for golf. If there's an ideal for golf. You know, so, mm. so yeah, you know, um, just a machine. You know, how, how many drop shots did he have over the week? Just a handful, wasn't it? I mean, literally, I, yeah, it was, know, yeah. three or four. Yeah, he had it on a rope. I, I, you know, and I hope he, he, you know, he can make something a little bit more of it. I mean, you know, the guy who he's figured out something going on in his putting stroke uh, over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think he arrived only with about 20 putters this week um, in the boot of the car. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many he had, but he did. Allegedly, he had a boot full of putters, um, but he was he used the one that he used the week before, which he felt he putted really well with. So, Andy, do you feel that Dustin's kind of short game gets overshadowed by his long game and his driving? Um, he, you know what? 
I think there's a possibility of that. You know, I think if you look at his stats, you can see very much that he is an incredibly good wedge player now. And he's learned to do that. Um, he struggled. Struggled. I mean, come on, the guy nearly won the US Open, you know, in 2010. Uh, and it was his longer game that gave him a bit more trouble than, you know, his short, shorter game at that point. He just couldn't keep it on the park. He's learned to do that. He's developed all the things that are, you know, necessary to do that. And, you know, he's, his game has turned around. He, he's short game is exceptional and he does work really really hard there's no question um you know, i do find it quite funny when you you know you listen to commentaries from you know rich beam and and um you know he's uh claude Harmon with the you know with regards to you know he'll have a lesson on the saturday and forget what he's done on sunday i, mean, I thought that was hysterical mm-hmm. um you know but you can see that he's that kind of laid-back character that that and, and that He's, he's obviously the reason why he is as good as he is. You know, I mean, he, he needs something to kick him on. Um, you know, from time to time, and you know, but you know, back to the question, really. Yeah, you probably we probably do overlook how good he is from you know inside a hundred yards. And I think one of the things that you know, Butch and and obviously Butch is instilling that in Claude. You know, as I'm sure many of his players will switch over to Claude and you know maybe move on to other coaches as well as often happens when you know the the main man you know moves towards retirement um you know the the instilling of the importance of this quality of the quality of these shots you know that that you have to have inside 100 yards 120 yards i mean you know dj's got a wedge in his hand from 160 yards probably um you know so you you are you have to control the flight you know and if you do control the flight of wedge shots then you you will have a jump on the on the market and you know and, and the other thing as well then of course if you can hit the golf ball as long and straight as DJ does you know then you know who knows what what's there well thirty under we you know we only talked about this the other week didn't we that mm-hmm. um, you know golf courses great golf courses it's been spoken about a number of times this week on the um, uh, you know on on all really these golf courses you know can we continue to use st andrews in four or five years time can we do you know can we use these great courses like you know the the venue of boston and you know without lengthening them without doing things to them well yeah okay let's get used to the fact that these are the best players in the world playing on golf courses that you and i can go and play and any of our listeners and ultimately can then go and play that golf course and play off the back tees and go you know what, these guys are good because, you know, we can't get it round in, you know, much under 80 if we're, you know, scratch golfers and these guys are getting you around in under 60, yeah. you know, and, you know, I think when you, when you give consideration to what these guys are doing, these guys are the best players in the world. It's as simple as that. You know, I, I've got nothing else to say. They are exceptionally good. The reason why I don't play on tour is because these guys are a darn sight better than me. And, you know, there's thousands of them are darn sight better than me. You know, so there's no point in even attempting to do it. You know, realise your place. Um, you know, so, so yeah, you know, I mean, Dustin is at the top of the game. He's been, you know, around the top 10 now for a number of years. He's obviously been world number one. You know, I, I think he goes to he's gone to world number one again. He's certainly very close to doing so, if not, you know. And you know, so he's right there in the mix, you know. And 
he's such a laid back character, mm -hmm. such a, you know, sort of, you know, I, I don't think I could say anything without it being detrimental, really. I think it's a little bit, you know, anything I said would be version on the side of mm -hmm. rude, but, you know, he's, he's literally horizontal and, you know, that's a great character trait. You know, I mean, I'm not speaking out of turn, you know, if I said the same thing about Sandy Lyle, I mean, such a phenomenal golfer, but, you know, much more laid back than, you know, sort of bouncing around and you know it was a it's a great trait to be you don't have to be the sharpest tool you know in the cushion you know the sharpest pin the sharpest tool in the box i mean you just don't have to be what you have to be is capable of thinking golf mm. and you know and i think this is where ultimately possibly and i don't wish this to sound wrong either possibly the weakest link in Justin's armory right now, or Dustin's, not Justin, but in Dustin's armory, is the communication between him and his caddy. I don't think they end up arguing, but I'm not so sure that the caddy is strong enough to say, now you're hitting a three wood here, boss. Mm. You know, because it, it's the caddy's job to make sure he doesn't hit driver at 18, you know, when he needs a four to shoot 59. It, it, you know, it, it is absolutely the caddy's job it's you know you cannot bring that bad lie into play you cannot risk running out of fairway and his three wood goes that far anyway that you know he's going to leave himself with a six iron or you know maybe you know with the adrenaline pump i don't know if he ever gets adrenaline pumping um yeah it's that horizontal but you know with, with a little bit of adrenaline um that you would that you would expect him to be able to get on the green with a six or seven iron and get it within single putt distance, and potential then a shooting fifty eight, you know, is obviously there. So, so for me, I think the big deal is that uh, you know he's uh, he, he's he's plotting around the golf course. If he's just the case of oh, I'm just going to hit the fairway, I'm just going to hit green, but I'm going to hit very close to the flag, and he cracks on and does it the way he's been doing it in the last few weeks, he's unstoppable. You know, and, um, you know, one of the things that was said over the weekend as well is that, you know, Tiger Woods says it hasn't shot 11 under par. Yeah. You know, he hasn't shot a 60. You know, Tiger's, Tiger's exceptionally good at making par 68. You know, and, you know, that's what he's done for so long. And, um, you know, and he'll grind out, you know, we know par isn't 68. So, you know, 71s and 72s you know, turn into four threes and four unders, you know, that's 12 under for the tournament. It's kind of about, you know, maybe even 16 and Tiger's kind of about there when there's an average week going on. Um, he, you know, got something going a little bit more yesterday uh, morning round, you know, obviously he played in the morning. Um, you know, so there was a little bit of something going on there. Um, you know, he's he's finding a bit of form. Hopefully, he, you know, he's gearing towards Eastlake. He's got good fun memories from last year. You know, he wants to play at Eastlake and be tournament ready for the US Open. But he's getting there, you know, and um, he, at least he's starting to pick up a little bit of um, head of steam. And, you know, the rust is, is sort of slowly but surely being knocked off. So, um, you know, a grinder, you know, US Open, you've got to look at, obviously, Dustin Johnson, you know, goes into the US Open in, you know, two or three weeks' time. Very much a firm favourite, you know. it's. Um, you know, he's hitting it long, he's hitting it straight. And, you know, it doesn't matter what he hits as well, he's going to hit it, you know, down the fairway. So, you know, um, it'll be interesting, you know, really interesting to watch. 
um, how that one pans out. We talked about the amount of kind of different putters in his bag, and something that's always fascinated <laughs> me is that players um, can switch between a more mallet shaped putter and a more mm. traditional answer shaped putter. How does that work? And and for you, Andy, of your time putting a short game, how has the putter developed? And and what what do you think the kind of um, new trends that are helping the players at the moment are good for, for your putting, but also mm. there's, there's, there's trends in, in putter shape in particular that are not particularly helping players. Yeah, I think I think the biggest challenge, and we've said this before, is the way that we try to sell putter styles mm. and you know what they what the style of the putter will do for the stroke of uh, of the player. And you know, bottom line is guys, girls, if, whoever's listening, the putter doesn't influence your stroke. You are in control of the putter. Providing you're in good posture, you ultimately have the ability to be able to swing the putter the way you want to swing the putter, or more importantly, the way anatomically you should be swinging the putter. Um, you, you know, so there's a stroke there, and you know, if you haven't looked, go and watch Sophia um, Popoff's putting stroke. You know, there's a, you know, I've got a link there on the. Uh, Insta and you know photo video that I took watching her you know in my living room is literally on that putting green uh, just filmed it on the TV and you know there's great posture good arm hang you know and and great rotation around the spine the 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 styles of putter I mean if we go back mid 1940s we had heel shafted putters which looked more like a one iron than anything else. And there was an element of, you know, so the styles of putter then was creeping into what we call a flange on the back, which, you know, sort of a little bit of a scoop back. And I don't know whether it was designed to help you not bend down to pick the ball or, or you know, if you weren't good enough, you chase the ball around the place mm-hmm. trying to, you know, sort of lift the ball up in the back of that putter. Um, in the mid 1940s, uh, you know, John Letters and uh, John Reuters Jr. from uh, a cushion that I've been doing my history um, checking um, came out with the center shafted putter and, you know, basically moved the weight behind uh, the shaft. It's interesting, um, you know, the center shafted putter was actually deemed to be illegal according to the rules of golf at that point in time. Wow. Um, but as long as the shaft didn't go in the center of the club, then it wasn't deemed to be illegal. So what they've done then is move the weight either side of the shaft. Well, we now know that to increase the MOI or the stability of the putter. So, you know, we got our first, in effect, heel and toe type putter, albeit in a center shafted format by moving weight into the heel or behind the shaft. So the, the key at that point was ultimately the putter in effect became more stable and we saw a lot of players at that point in time move towards it uh, albeit the shaft in various guises moved in from the heel anything up to you know sort of half an inch of the center of the club um, maybe an inch but you know certainly there was a, you know you can see the early designs you know of the uh, bullseye and the golden goose putters and you know they were simultaneously designed uh, which is you know kind of interesting and you know from a point of view of uh you know john letters and john reuters have actually determined that there's no way they could have you know stolen each other's intellectual property because they came out with them at the same time which means they were developing at the same time of course we didn't have internet back then mm. you know, phones back then necessarily you know to be able to communicate 
observations and knowledge and and ideas you know to steal them and you know over legend will have it over a number of bottles of uh whiskey uh irish whiskey i believe um 1947 Mm -hmm. um open championship at uh uh in ireland um where we had hosted the tournament last year and um you know ultimately um you know, the, the decision was had that the, neither of the guys had stolen each other's intellectual property. There was no patent infringements and that, you know, they they chinked the glasses, um, you know, to agreement. Subsequently from there, of course, you know, putters didn't really evolve much more for another 20 years or so. And then we started to see evolution creeping in uh, to the putter styles, the weight distribution moving towards the heel and the toe. Uh, and the shaft becoming offset from, in effect, behind the face of the putter and, you know, in, in the format of the ping answer. And, you know, it was at that point then, you know, manufacturers start to look at different styles and designs. Um, obviously, the, the putters at that point in time all 37 inches long as well. And, um, you know, the head weights were only 285 grams. So, you know, as they started to maneuver weight around the club, the club became heavier and subsequently because it became heavier the shaft ultimately became shorter as a countering uh the weight element because d2 was always the swing weight of of sorts that better players preferred mm-hmm. and yeah i'll be perfectly honest with you now we don't even consider swing weight of a putter because it's in effect off the charts um you know ultimately you know, we don't need swing weight. Swing weight is based on feel, so it's the balance between the head weight and the and the grip weight and the length of the club and the and the overall weight of the club. Um, you know, it has very little bearing on it. I remember when I was sitting my exams um, back in the early nineties, and I was going through my training or just prior to my exams. I remember um, Gwillem Hardiman and uh, Gwillem, I believe, is not long. Uh, passed away, I believe. Um, I hope I haven't. I hope I've got that right, and he has passed rather than you know if he's still around. And I thought he passed. Um, that would be a little bit of a faux pas, wouldn't it? Um, but Gwillem was the was leading the um, club repairs. I remember him saying in the um, one of the seminars that if a golf club is balanced, you can put a five pound note on one end of the club and a five pound note on the other end, and you haven't changed the weight by a lot, but you haven't changed the swing weight either. But if you picked up the swing, the uh, five pound note off the grip end and put it down on the club head end, you'll see a significant change in the balance. Just the five pound note. Now that'd be the same if you know we're talking about a ten dollar bill, you know, in the states or wherever. So it, you know, very little weight is required to throw the swing weight balance out. We then proceeded to say that if you put London Bridge on one end and London Bridge on the other, albeit you would break the scales and obviously couldn't lift the club, the swing weight would would remain the same because it's based on balance, not weight. And of course, the extremes of weight, talking about the difference between paper and, you know, whatever, you know, (laughs) however million tons of of, um, concrete and steel, um, you know, assuming it's millions of tons, I have no idea, of course. But ultimately, that, that extreme concept has stood with me now 30 years on and and subsequently you know the realization that balance of the club is a very finite thing and it's something that you know as a club 
builder, you know, in terms of I'm building clubs, custom building putters for clients. Uh, whilst they're in front of me, we are, you know, desperately trying to get the balance of the club to be finitely balanced so that, you know, a player can tell a difference. You know, I've got strips of lead tape on some of my clubs, which you don't even know are there, but I can feel when I take them off, you know, or, or when I put them on, I, ultimately the difference in the club. But you, yeah. you'd struggle to find them because of where they're tucked away in the club. Um, but they're there nonetheless, and they do the job, um, you know, perfectly for me. So, you know, and the same with the putters. I mean, I've got a putter with some tape hidden, and, you know, I said to the guys, I said, look, you know, even lead tape on this club. And, the, you know, only a couple of days ago, they said, well, where's the lead tape on that club? And it's, you know, it's underneath the top of the cavity, you know, on the club. And they couldn't, they had no idea there was lead tape there, let alone the fact that there was 20 grams of lead tape there. <laughs> so you know when it comes down to um you know balancing the club out you know that's probably more important we heard the guys on the tv the other week talking about the weight of the club yes the weight of the club is important um you know paul mcginley was you know waxing around about that and ultimately said that weight is more important than length no paul that is not the case length determines mm -hmm. posture posture determines stroke and you know everything else then you know is you know is not insignificant nothing's insignificant put in the target's too small for anything to be insignificant but the length of the club will ultimately determine the posture the weight of the club determines feel and you know it comes into that x factor what is feel what is it that we we have in our you know sort of dna that actually tells us that you know this putter feels really nice invariably it's the x factor element of actually we don't know we can't define it is it a visual thing maybe is it a weight thing that we can feel in our hands is it a thickness of the grip you know the lack of weight in a grip or the amount of weight in a grip um it, you know some putters look heavy by the fact sheer fact that there's mass down at the bottom but it's all made of plastic you know, with a you know reasonable amount of weight, uh, you know, to bring it to around 340, 350 grams. But it looks like it should be 450 grams or much heavier than something that's been milled out of a single block of steel that, you know, weighs 335 grams. So immediately yeah, remember, there's an assumption. Yeah. Go on. Now, do you remember the, the dock putter from Ping? Um, it was massive. It was a kind of a half yes. the size of a satellite dish. It was huge. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, um, yeah, I mean, there were some incredibly large putters out there. And of course, you know, back in the day, the response putter, 1986, you know, Jack Nicholas, the response putter that McGregor had, uh, definitely not enough stock of because, you know, he won, he, they'd sold out on the Monday morning, but I think they'd sold three um, prior to the um, to the Masters uh, in '86. And of course, on the Monday wow. morning, they've sold everything um, and can't get enough stock in. I mean, I remember that putter. That putter was enormous. I'm going to say somewhere in the region of about eight inches long in the in the length of the club and about two inches deep. And you know, I mean, have a look. You know, that putter that Nicholas was using on the 17th, that iconic putt where he raises his left arm as he goes in the centre of the hole. I mean, that that putter was enormous, and and part of the reason for that is that Jack's eyes were failing him; he couldn't see anything. Uh, he couldn't see a standard size putter, and of course, his George Low bladed putter that he used was tiny in comparison. Um, of course, Jack's back to something a bit more standard size now, and you know, subsequently, you know, I think he used that for maybe. 
three months before you know he realized that actually it helped him to win the masters but it wasn't going to take him any further um you know we've had the the zebra putter which was probably down the that line that was a classic that was yeah great thing about that <laughs> it was adjustable weights as well i mean I, I don't know if you knew that but you yeah. know, adjustable weights you could actually get into the back of the club or into the sole of the club and change the weights with which were just washers guys just literally washers um oh i do remember that it screwed off onto yeah, it like a, it. four or five it, screws yeah. in the bottom and you could literally yeah you could get that base plate off and you know and you'd find half the half the top dressing from one of the greens as well in there if you were lucky <laughs> um you know so that changed the weight um so yeah you know so you had zebra and then of course the next iconic putter would be two ball and yeah. you know um you know an iconic putters are putters that stay uh, uh, you know and the iconic they, they either change something or they stay the longevity of that club is what works and you know crucially um you, you know that's the, the two ball putter has stayed and um the you know others have, have made more than their share of bucks um out of that particular putter um, Did you, you know, think they, it would, though, Andy? When I saw it first, I, I saw its merit, you know, very much. I'm not, I'm not a mallet fan, as you know, and, you mm. know, that's purely because I like, you know, to look at something a little bit more streamlined. Um, I actually feel I can line a club up if it's longer than, you know, than deeper. And, you know, so for me, you know, my putter is about half an inch longer than a standard length putter ordinarily, so it's around about five minutes about five and a quarter inches, I think, maybe. Uh, I'd have to measure that. But it's, it is a little bit long. It's maybe half an inch longer than what's, what a standard putter. And standard putter is very similar to the whole size, around about four and a quarter to four and a half inches. Yeah. So mine's running a little bit closer to five. But ultimately, um, you know, I find the longer blade easier to line up. But, of course, then folk talk about blades and terminology. A blade is a blade. Blade is what we saw back in the mid-1940s before the centre shafty putter came out. And if we keep the terminology really simple, the heel and toe putter that the Pinganza is, um, you know, it's been around for 60 years now, uh, virtually 55 years, you know, is, is a classic putter, but it isn't traditional. You know, traditional putters were blades with the shaft going into the heel. And then you went center shafted. Again, not traditional. It moved away from traditional. Um, again, I've got no issues with the fact that, you know, traditions change and traditions evolve, as do the putters. But, you know, stop calling these pinganza putters blades because they're not. Mm. I know what a blade looks like when I put it down and I think, oh, crikey, I wouldn't want to butter my bread with that, let alone hit, trying to hit a 230-yard shot with it. You know, that's a blade, you know, very thin across the top and across the bottom with no margin for error for miss-hitting the shot. That's a bladed golf club. A bladed putter is exactly the same. So we just walk away from the fact, no, these slimmer heel and shaft. I know it doesn't roll off the tongue, but, but a blade is a blade. And, you know, those of us that are new or those, you know, of our golfing friends that are newer to the game haven't got a clue what a bladed putter looks like. They think it's a pinganza, which is a heel and toe, peripheral weighted, you know, larger sweet spotted putter. Um, you know, I, you can tell I've gone off on the tangent there, but ultimately, two ball, you know, was, was kind of the last, for me, arguably the last iconic putter. Are we moving towards the spider design being the latest iconic putter? Possibly. 
possibly. You know, it's kind of like a square, clunky, you know, doesn't do anything for me, um, mm. you know, style and design. But but ultimately, uh, it is what it is. It does, uh, it does a job. Uh, some players feel that that's the way to go. Marketing is very good, of course. Everybody sees yeah. the fact that everybody's using one. I say everybody, not everybody, of course. But, you know, that they're using these particular putters um and think they're the best thing since life's bread and of course you know capable of shooting 30 under par um for four rounds of golf and so it has to be the club not the player and um you know so we've got to go and buy one well you know it's still the person swinging it and again it comes down to it you can have the best putter on the planet it does all the things you want it to do but if you deliver a club that's error to the path you're going to get a deflected ball flight and, you know, albeit flight is generally roll, it's going to start in the direction that's not necessarily the one you wanted. And, you know, if the error is really bad, then it won't roll out as well. You know, so you've got to learn to posture correctly in order to swing it correctly. And that's where we are when it comes to putters. So, you know, evolution of putters for me and where they will go, I think we will learn more about weight and distribution of weight within the club um and what that does for um you know for for design um i think putters have to have a certain style to them so you know when it comes down to it are we you know doing what we you know ultimately if we can get the putter to swing back to the ball with the face square to the target line with the path reasonably straight we're going to hit the golf ball nice and solid um, you know, so if we can get the sweet spot in the optimum place, and then, you know, all I'm going to say is it's not where you think it is, but, you know, just, uh-huh. under, just worry about the fact that, you know, the center of the club is pretty much where you need to strike. Um, you know, if we can get the sweet spot absolutely dialed in, then maybe we will transfer energy more consistently. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we hit the ball out the toe or the heel, and we don't find the sweet spot, then the putter's going to twist. So it's really important that you can do that. For me, I think it's really important that anybody who's in the market for a new putter has a look at a center shafty putter. And because they're going to offer more stability, period, before anything else goes on. Um, I think, you know, we talk about underrating, you know, sort of short games, you know, with DJ, but, you know, center shafty putters for me are underrated. Um, Folk generally don't like the look of them. Why? Because Tiger doesn't use it, maybe. Um, but I'm noticing there is a little bit of a trend towards centre shafty putters, and certainly those players that are knocking putts in because they're featuring on the uh, on the leaderboards, which means they're mm. in front of the TV cameras. I'm seeing a bit more of the centre shafty putter style out there, um, and so. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm pleased to see that. But again, the manufacturers will dictate the trend yeah. um, because the players are in effect told what they should be using rather than, you know, sort of working, you know, a, something that they like. Because if they don't see it, they don't, they don't know it exists. So if the manufacturers don't make it, you know, or don't make it available to them, then they, they're going to say, right, well, I, you know, I don't have, uh, any other alternatives you know if the only putter that was made available to a tour player was a pinganza then you know that that's what you would see them using because they you know unless they stumbled across something you know in the old five dollar bin 
you know, um, secondhand bin, you know, which has been done a number of times, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jim Fury famously, you know, grabbed a putter out of a $10 bin, you know, a, a number of years ago and uh, ended up winning the, uh, I want to say it was the um, WGC at uh, Bridgestone. Um, yeah, Firestone. Yeah. yeah, Firestone, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, you know, look, there's there's lots of um, lots of different um, putter styles out there, and you know, first and foremost, you've, it's got to fit your eye. So, manufacturers will always be trying to make the next best thing, and you know, for whatever they can do, you know, to do that, to make that happen. Um, you know, they're going to do it, you know, as long as their budget extends that way. If they think that they can make, look, you know, I'm a tailor made truss putter, you know, know, DJ was using a truss putter a couple of weeks ago, you know, and you know, didn't stay in the back. He's been using one of these spiders on and off for the last three or four years, and you know, it doesn't necessarily stay in the bag. And I don't believe this one will stay in the bag either because he's going to miss putts based on his method rather than you know, on his um on the you know on the putter itself so if the putter again if it comes down to it but it doesn't fit you know solely you know he, he's got a better fit on his trousers and shirt than he has on his putter and yeah. you know, leave it at that you know <laughs> um <laughs> you, you know and, and to be fair you know he could put any pair of trousers on and you know and shirts and he'd look good mm-hmm. um he, you know but uh but yeah he's if he could get his putter to fit as well as his trousers and shirt does and i think he'd be uh He'd be a force to be reckoned with. And that is our parting statement. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we could we could leave it at that day. Eh? So uh, no, next week. Yeah, of course, next week we are going to be right on my doorstep with the um uh, the the English is it the English classic? Um I can't remember what it's been titled, yeah, yeah, it's um, names. And um it's right. I'm literally right on my doorstep, folks. I, you know, if there were crowds there, I'm almost as close that I could actually hear the, cl- the crowds roar. Of course, there aren't any crowds, uh, which means I can't go either, um, which is a real shame. You know, I, I, if if at any point lockdown frustrated me, this is going to frustrate me even more, knowing that there's a tournament with the best players in Europe, you know, sort of on my doorstep, not able to go and see them. It's just... Um, you know, I, I always love watching players practice, and uh, you know, I, it does really, you know, sort of flick my switch. But unfortunately, it's not possible. So, you know, guys and girls, if you are in the vicinity of the Midlands and Belfry, uh, in particular this um, this week, uh, don't call in because you can't. Um, <laughs> certainly, don't go out of your way. Um, but the course already looks spectacular. I have had a little sort of divert. Um, you know, I've seen some of the some fantastic photographs uh, and video footage of, of the course. It is going to look spectacular on TV. It always does because, you know, of, of the way that it's prepared. Um, they've done an incredible job of it and it will be an incredible um, tournament venue. So it's a fitting place really to have a climax for the um the uk swing and uh i hope the weather's going to serve it well but actually given the fact that it won't affect the crowds oh shall we bring it on like we did at troon or um <laughs> that'd be a little bit, <laughs> little bit of a challenge that'd be a really good golf course um 14 holes with water yeah um 
And pretty much, I'd say that for the best players, you're going to be looking at 11 or 12 of those are going to be in play, um, you know, with with any amount of approach shots they're going to be playing. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real good test of golf. Um, I know it very, very well. I've played it, uh, you know, a number of times in the last four or five years. Um, look forward to see how the guys get on with it, um, really, and, and wish everybody well, um, you know, because it'll be really good to see, you know, how folk actually get to cope with it so um you know it's uh yeah it's going to be it's going to be good um not sure where the girls are going um and of course we're round two the week before um east lake so you know everybody vying for positions for the top 30 and you know it would be great to see you know tiger and rory in in position to be able to get into the top 30 uh for the fedex um so it's, there's going to be some good competition going on. And to be honest, if the guy, those guys can't get up for it this week, um, you know, maybe they're just getting old and need to hang it up. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that that's the case at all. You know, there are a few players that are struggling with that. The crowds, I think, definitely Rory is fitting that bill. Um, I think Tiger will get into it. Um, it you know, I don't, it, Tiger loves the crowd, of course. We know the crowd love him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much more inspiration with his game is getting to a point where I hope he doesn't have a week off before a major. It'll be interesting because he doesn't normally play four weeks, um, you know, on the spin before major. So um, it, it will be heading that way, um, of course. So yeah, it will be it will be very interesting to see how it all pans out. Good fun. Thank you, Andy. All right, thank you guys. Thanks for listening. And again, you know, if you have anything that you would like to bring up or for us to bring up, feel free to uh, email me at golfandygorman.com and uh, you can contact us on any of our social channels at Andy Gorman Golf. Um, thanks for listening. Can't do it without, well, I can, but then I'm chatting to nobody and nobody's taking any notice. I know that you do. Thanks for all of the love that you're uh, passing out there uh, because. I do get a number of comments and know that uh, there's a few of you have been in touch for coaching already. And I'm looking forward to meeting those of you that have already booked in over the next couple of weeks. So uh, if you want any more information, then just feel free. Contact me at golfandygorman.com. Have a look on the website, uh, andygormangolf at uh, andygormangolf.com. And, uh, you know, with any of the social channels, you can message me there. Uh, we are always here in effect. It's the social world. We're always open. So thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you next week. Bye for now.